Welcome. You're listening to the Heritage Podcast. To learn more about Heritage, including meeting times and upcoming events, visit us online at www.heritageff.org. Now, let's get into today's podcast. So, let's get into today's uh, message today. And I want to deal with this is who is this child? Who is this man? Basically, the forgotten man. And the forgotten child in the middle of all of the celebration and all of this. And, I, and listen, uh, Christmas season is, is an awesome time as we get into the decorations and, and everything that you see. And the, the, the sights, the smells, the packaging, the wrapping, the Christmas trees, the music. And all of it is tremendous. Sometimes, not all the time, and sometimes we miss the, the, the significance of that. And that is about the child and that was born on this day that became a man and who laid his life down. So who is this child and who is this man? And so I want to deal with this. We're going to begin our reading in the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. And before we do, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the living word. I thank you the word is alive. I thank you that the word is true. I thank you that your word is life-giving. He that had the Son had life, you said. He that had not the Son had not life. And the greatest way we could do that is believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. But we can't do it without enough sufficient word to get on the inside. So, Father, this day, may the words of life penetrate the hearts of the hearer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2, if you will. Let's read two verses of Scripture here. We're going to read a lot of verses. Luke chapter 2, and a powerful statement here that we're about ready to read. And it makes a statement, Luke 2, verse 6 and 7. Watch this. While they were there, now meaning that they had left town, Joseph and Mary, and by, by order, by law, by, by command, uh, they by instruction, legal instruction, they had to leave where they went. And the Bible said it were completed and the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her, watch this statement, firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. And so when you read this statement it becomes our classic christmas it becomes our classic manger scene it becomes our 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 traditional uh, viewpoint of it there was there were the mary and and joseph and the animals and they're in the hay and and there's this manger and oh and man it's so uh, so wonderful we look at it and Oh, oh, holy night and silent night. And we look at this. But in the reality of this, I want you to consider the human side of this. Joseph was a real man. Mary was a real woman. Her birth was the same way being carried out. It was not the same way conceived, but the same way carried out nine months of nine months of her body, uh, literally uh, maneuvering, moving, just like every other woman, to receive this child and allow this child to grow into nine months in her womb. 
And so she carried this child. She went through all the labor pains. She went through all that. Don't think for just a moment, just because it was referred to as a immaculate conception, that she didn't have to physically go through anything. She did. We don't know to what degree, but keep this in mind. We're talking almost 2,000 years ago. The technology of today that we have in hospitals and, and the way we can lay down in beds. And do, they didn't have that in that time. So, But the way they carried the child, same way, nine months. So when the time was completed, not just the time of natural birth, but the time of completion and the order and the, and the, and the strategy of God, the plan of God, the, the maneuver of God to wipe out sin and bring humanity, that time came into completion. And when it did, with the natural order and the spiritual order, oh man, the child was to give birth. And she was in what's referred to as a manger. There was no room for her at that end. Now, a Luke, when we read Luke's account here, and we look at it very, very closely and straightforward, it provides us with these details and it gives us the human side of this account. If I could use this term, regardless of the, 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 the vernacular you want to use. It's not just a story. It's an historical account of a husband, a man by the name of Joseph, a woman by the name of Mary, and how they came together by the plan of God. And this goes along, and we read this, it happens very quickly, but it did nine months had passed by this. And the events that took around this were around from a Jewish time clock. Historically, they were in, 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 in the time frame. These, if these folks were surrounded by, by agriculture and they governed their times by seasons. And one of the seasons they governed themselves is by harvest. And so we, we see that about the time of this, there was this time that, that it fell on this time. Luke informs us that Joseph and Mary traveled uh, to Bethlehem to be registered for tax and that it had been decreed by C Caesar Augustus. Now, you remember Caesar Augustus. He, he plays an intricate part of this. And uh, now if, if, I don't want to get too far into this, but this was around 8 B.C., that's right, before B.C., before Christ, 8 B.C. And, uh, and uh, this was important for us to understand this because this was crucial to why Mary and Joseph had to leave where they were at and go register for the taxation. They had to go do that, the census and the taxation. They had to do that by law. It was a... It was a it was a command, a legal command for them to do this. So normal registration like this was done after the people finished their harvest. That's why I said harvest time. Now think about that. If it was done around harvest time and Jesus came around harvest, the greatest harvest was about ready to be made. The greatest evangelist, if I could use that, was about ready to be born. The Savior of mankind, the Savior of the greatest harvest of all time was about ready to come into time into existence oh man this is powerful so this is very important that we understand this jesus was born for you and i and 
who, who is this child? And who is this man that, be, that was born out of this? Now, this means that his birth, according to the scripture, occurred around what we know as the Feast of the Trumpets in 4 B.C. scripture. Now, of course, nowhere in scripture is it explicitly defined that, but study that out and, you'll, and it's very important. Now, oftentimes I read this and I hear, when I, when I read this scripture, then I hear people make a statement, why on earth would Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem? I'm, I'm setting the stage here. Why would they travel? Why would they go? Because Caesar Augustus had ordered this and Caesar Augustus exercised his power of his position that would give him co greater control over the world if he could know where everybody was and who was there, how many were registered, how much the taxation is about money, how much they could get into this. Sounds a lot about what's going on in our nation today. Where are the people? Who are they? Who's got, who's got what? And, and uh, what is the financial condition? It's all about that. We got to know where people are. Now, as we look at this, Caesar Augustus had no clue about this. He engaged into the plan and working of Almighty God. Now, because of it, remember Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth. That's very crucial. They lived in Nazareth, but the prophecy said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, we've all know that. Now, as Christians, we, we are aware of that. Now, where is that stated? Go to the book of Micah, if you will, with me. The book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 and 4. If we know there's a prophecy, wouldn't it be good for us to know where that prophecy is? And Micah, the prophet, prophesied this. 5, 2 and 4. Micah 5, 2 and 4 makes this statement. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, Though you are too small to be or too small or insignificant among the army groups of the clans of Judah, from you shall come one who will rule Israel for me, the Messiah. He comes, his origins are, his goings are out of, and from very old ancient times, from days long ago, verse 3, and the Lord will give up or abandon his people until the one who is having a baby in labor gives birth. Then the rest of his relatives, brothers, will return to the people of Israel. At that time, the ruler of Israel will stand and take care of his people, the shepherd of his flock, and the Lord's strength and the power of majesty of the name of the Lord his God and the Israelites, they will live in safety because his greatness will reach all over the ends of the earth. Now, this is a powerful prophecy by the prophet Micah. I want to state that one more time. He said, but you, Bethlehem, but you, Bethlehem. Now, we know they were from Nazareth, but the prophecy said, but you, Bethlehem. So God had to get Joseph and Mary out of Nazareth into Bethlehem, and Caesar Augustus played right into this prophecy. 
and play. Man, when they came into this prophecy, he said, oh yeah, you're a, you are real small. You're so insignificant. Let me tell you something. God does not view ins- people as ins- insignificant. Places as ins- insignificant. Places are important to God. Pen- uh, the, the upper room was significant. Jerusalem was significant. Where you live right now is significant. Who you are is significant. Don't ever count yourself out. Don't ever let anybody call you insignificant. You're everything God said you are. You may not be recognized by a whole class of people, but heaven recognizes you. And he said in here, among all of the armies, but the Messiah, he comes, his origins are, and it's going out from here. He would be born in Bethlehem. However, he came from Nazareth, but Bethlehem, you're the one that's going to receive him. Bethlehem morn is the scripture, is song that we sing. Bethlehem morning. Oh, man. But we oftentimes forget that. Why that was so significant. The prophet prophesied this by the spirit of the living God. God made the decision that Bethlehem would be the origin of where God would step out of eternity and into time. And come into humanity and become the beginning of the Savior of the world. Now, Matthew 2, 4, and 6 testifies of this. Go to that, if you will. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 4 and 6, and it makes this statement. So, another translation of this, you can read in King James, but listen to this. So he called a meeting of the Jewish ruling priests and the religious scholars, demanding that they tell him where the promised Messiah was prophesied to be born. Now, now, that is so important that the king at that time, Herod, said, I know, I've heard it. There's a, the wisdom of all this. There, there, somebody had prophesied that there'd be a Messiah born. Somebody said this. Where is that city? Where, when, and time is this prophetic utterance going to come to pass? And so he called them together, demanding they tell him where the promised Messiah would be prophesied by Micah to be born. Now, verse 5, he will be born in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, they told him. Because the prophecy states, because the prophecy states, let me say that again, because the prophecy states, this child, who is this child? He's a prophetic child. He was born because of an utterance by God in Genesis chapter 3. He said to Satan, your, my, her seed shall bruise your head and your head shall bruise his heel. That's the body of Christ. Walking by faith and not by sight. We bruise his, his head all the time and our heel. We're walking by faith. He said this, and you, Bethlehem, are not insignificant among the clans of Judah, for out of the merged shepherd and king out of all the people of Israel. Again, a confirmation in Matthew's gospel to what Micah said. And so here we find the two connecting together. And Herod, he's not born again. He is, he does not a believer. He does not accept 
uh, the, the Jewish people, the covenant of God. He's not accepting the law of God. He's not interested in any other prophecy except there's supposed to be a king coming and I'm a king and I don't want that king raised up taking my throne. So where is this king supposed to be born? Talk to me about this prophecy. And this is what we as believers got to know. Listen, this celebration, Christmas, not about a tree, man. It's not about all the gifts. It, it, as much as I enjoy all that, this is a prophetic moment. Anytime we engage in this Christmas, we're dealing with a prophetic utterance. And if it is a prophetic utterance, it's a prophetic moment. What does that mean to us in, in a prophetic time? Anytime we celebrate Christmas, we ought to say, glory be to God, this is prophetic. There is a, a, an anointing on this wordings. And I get to celebrate what God said in Genesis, what God said in Exodus and Leviticus, all the way down through Scripture regarding the moment that Jesus would come in. I get to celebrate the fact that the new birth is a reality. I get to celebrate the fact that that manger, that manger, that, that birth, that time that they left Nazareth went to Bethlehem was all about me being born again right now and celebrating life. It's just not, listen, this is why so many people, may, you know, what child is this? And they always think of a child. And we have manger scenes of, of a, being an infant. Listen, I have pictures of me as a child. My wife has pictures of her as a child. But guess what? We're not children no more. We don't take pictures like that anymore. Oh, no, no, we don't do that. We don't think about that. We think about now us, the age that we're at right now. And so Jesus is the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who was and is and is to come. He is the great shepherd, the great I am, the living water. He is the rock of your salvation. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Yet, now think about this. Listen to my statement. He was helpless as an infant. From a natural standpoint, he was helpless as an infant. He was just like every other child. He was totally dependent upon Mary and his mother's milk for survival at the birth. He was just like every other child. He came, God surrendered himself and came in and God manifested himself in that child. And when Jesus was born, the infant Jesus was born, he didn't have all the supernatural nannies and, and substance that he didn't need to eat, that he didn't have to have milk, that he didn't have to be sustained, that he didn't have to be clothed. no. Just like every other child he did. I want you to understand this. He became flesh. He was every bit God and every bit human. He put his deity aside and took on human form. And he identified with you and I right now. And as a child, he was helpless. And the only way he could survive at that moment as an infant, as a, a moment old, as a five-minute-old five child, as, a, as an hour-old child. He needed 
to have milk from his mother's breast. He needed to have that. That was their survival mode, man. They needed to clothe him. And so they did this. So we, he set aside his, when he was born, God set aside all his rightful entitlements of deity to become the least privileged of people. Born among the poorest of the poor. The Apostle Paul, by revelation, spoke by the Spirit and said, He became poor that we might become rich. He, this is how he became poor. He clothed himself with flesh. He submitted himself to the, to the temptations and to the weariness and to the tiredness and to the, the he had to succumb to the, all that the flesh deals with. So that you could be born of the Spirit of God and not have to deal with that, not walk in the flesh. We, that's why it's so important that we say this so accurately with confidence and with authority. I walk by faith and not by sight or flesh. That's the poorest way to walk is the flesh. The highest way, the richest way is by faith. The birth of Jesus Christ a humble entrance into the world that would be characteristic of his, the rest of his life. It illustrated the difference between God's kingdom and the world's idea of power and authority, riches and privilege. God had blessed humanity when Jesus was born. Now I want you to think about this truth. Jesus... He was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. But he quietly entered the world by way of a stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem instead of riding in with a, 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 a 2,000 soldiers and chariots. No, 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 no. He was there in that manger. He was there with shepherds. Jesus entered in beneath the observation of the elite. Jesus entered in hidden behind his place in society to attract the notice of the wealthy. Jesus was totally ignored in his birth by the educated and the philosophers of that day. Jesus was not unnoticed. Angels filled the sky, the Bible said, with a myriad of angels and announced to the shepherds that he was here. Oh, man. So his arrival came and not completely unannoyed. Supernaturally, a visitation came. Individuals known as the Magi were notified. And out of all of the stars that were hung up there in in, the, in, in our galaxies, one moved, just one, and led them. Just all it took was one to lead them to Jesus Christ. All you need is one manifestation to lead you, to introduce you to, for you to accept and to keep you with one Jesus Christ, Savior of all mankind. It's all it takes, just one manifestation now, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 brings us a little closer to this. 
And this is where I want you to see, again, what child is this? Who is this man? Who is this child? Look at Isaiah's revelation of this. Revelation 9, verse 6, 7. It says, For a child will be born for us. A child will be born for us. And a son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Glory be to God. Place to shout right there. Verse 7. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign. Oh, I like that. I'm going to say that again. He will reign, listen to this, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts that's the Lord of army, will accomplish this. The Lord, when you see the Lord of hosts, that means God's army will bring it to pass and see to it we're done. Who's his army? The angelic host will work on all this. For a child will be born. The child that was in the manger was Jesus. The son that was given was the word of the living God. Two things happened in that day. A child physically manifested naturally in the flesh. God stepped out and the word became flesh, dwelt among us. That's the child. The son that was given for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believed in this would never perish, have eternal life. Two things happened. Child and son were given. So we read this and we read the the fullness of this. We, we get a, a picture of the reality of where all this is coming in. Oh, man, are you ready for this next verse? Go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. And we're going to read uh, verse 1 through 5. And if this doesn't excite you, man, uh, th- this is powerful. Now watch this. Talking about the birth. The verse Isaiah 11, 1. The cut of the stump of Jesse will sprout. That cut was the death on the cross. Will sprout and a fruitful branch shall grow from his roots. The spirit, I'm using a different translation, of Yahweh will rest upon him. Of the Lord, Adonai. The spirit of extraordinary wisdom. The spirit of perfected understanding. The spirit of wise strategy. The spirit of mighty power. The spirit of revelation. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord or Yahweh. Verse 3. He will find his delight in living by the spirit of the fear of the Lord. He will neither judge by the appearances nor make his decisions based on rumors. Oh, isn't that good? 
Verse 4, with righteousness he will uphold justice for the poor and defend the lowly of heart and his words will be like a scepter of power that conquers the world. And with his breath he'll slay the lawless one and righteousness will be his warrior's sash and faithfulness his belt. Jesus, this child that was given, the son, that was given. Child born, son given. Child born, son given. His righteousness will be his warrior's sash and his faithfulness forever. Man, can you see this? This is Jesus. Anytime you think about this, next time you see that manger scene, think about the prophet. Think about the prophecy that went forward. You know that John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not just a baby. No, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. And the glory was as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Please understand this. Peel back, if you will, through John's revelation of John 1.14. Peel back that curtain. And get a revelation of the plan of God. I want you to hear. No ordinary situation that took place. You realize there was no press here. There, there, were, there were no spotlights here. No television cameras. There was nobody uh, 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 taking notice of this. Except Mary and Joseph were just like any ordinary Jewish family who had a supernatural, extraordinary manifestation. And this day, they were a byproduct of God stepping out of eternity and into time. This day, the Word became flesh. This day, the Word dwelt among us. The song, what child is this? This baby, after all, is the son of God. He was the one whose words breathed out creation. Laying in that manger was God manifested in the flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then he worded himself out on, in John 1.14. This is the same one that handcrafted and Oh, this is so, ah. This Christ, this child, was there when Adam and Eve was created. Sculpted from the dust of the ground. This same child, this son that was given, breathed out life into the whole, all of the parents of mankind, Adam and Eve. This same one later grew up to be publicly identified with his people. And he submitted himself to the covenant and to the law. This same child. This is Jesus. What, who, what child is this? What man is this? He is the prophetic one. He is the most high. He's God manifest in the flesh. Please join me. As we continue this in the weeks to come, Jesus, your Jesus, my Jesus, our Jesus is Lord. Praise God for it.
Man, I love you. If you were encouraged by today's message and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe. To experience more of Heritage, visit us at www.heritageff.org. Again, thank you for listening to the Heritage Podcast today. And remember, Jesus is Lord.